listening to the Bill Sunday School Podcast. Luke chapter 24. This is the story of Jesus after he died and then rose from the dead. And here he is appearing to his disciples. And so Luke chapter 24, verse 40 says, When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe because of their joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? And he gave them, uh, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled. That which is written about me in the law of, the, of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And I'll pause here and say, so, so to say what's going on here, Jesus is at a table with his disciples. He had just died. Now he's rose again. And he's saying that the Old Testament has referred to me, that I have come to fulfill the Old Testament. And he lists the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, which, by the way, um, the Jewish people that we call it the Old Testament, the, the J- Jewish people still to this day call it something called the Tanakh, which is actually an acronym, which you just thought acronyms were for texting, like LOL, BRB, TTYL. Um, but there's actually an ancient acronym called the Tanakh, in which that's a word, um, a Hebrew word, which actually stands for the three parts of the Old Testament, which Jesus just um, listed. The T stands for Torah. The N stands for the Nephihim, the, the writing of the prophets. And the K stands for the Katavim, which is uh, the writings. And so going back to the passage, that was just a little rabbit trail. Jesus is basically saying that every, he says in verse 44, everything must be fulfilled, that which is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. So the writings, the, the prophets, and um, the, the law. So that's like the three parts of the Old Testament. And Jesus is pretty much saying all of the Old Testament is written uh, and I'm fulfilling it all. And in verse 45, he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And so today's lesson is about the Old Testament prophecies of Jesus being fulfilled in the New Testament, carrying on our bigger picture this month, which the topic is narrative theology, kind of zooming out on the Bible and looking at the entire thing um, in kind of a bird's eye view, figuratively. So let's begin with prayer. God, we do thank you for this day. For the, for the ability to study the Bible like we do, that we have it, that we can read it, uh, um, and we can study it in such a way that, that you can come alive, that, that you, God, were, were prophesied about in the Old Testament, and that you came in the flesh, you, Jesus, and fulfilled the Old Testament. God, we praise you. We thank you that we can see that today, that we can study that and, and almost stand in awe because you are an awesome God who had planned from the beginning to send your son. And so we worship you, Jesus. We praise you. And everybody screamed, Amen. Um, so way back in the day, when I was a little high schooler, if you could imagine that, um, I had just become a Christian in 10th grade, and I became a Christian in the winter, and then in the springtime, I went to a spring retreat with our youth group, and so we went actually to the beach, like our youth group of about 100 kids met with like other hundreds of kids in high school, and every every night on the spring retreat, someone would speak, and the speaker um, that came when I was in high school was like this um, guy that was just really into something called apologetics. Anybody else into apologetics? 
It's like a hobby. Yeah, there's lots of, it's kind of a nerd, Christian nerd topic. But since there's lots of Christian nerds in here in the Mill Sunday School, I figure that, you know, lots of you would be into something called apologetics. And what it is, it comes from the Greek word apologia, which is a kind of a rhetorical or rhetoric um, idea of defending an idea. And so you're defending what you believe. Um, That's really the modern day term that we defend what we believe as Christians. It doesn't, by the way, have anything to do with apologizing even though the words seem similar. So it's not us apologizing for being Christians. That's silly. It's defending our faith. And so way back in the day, as a little high school student, um, in, in this spring retreat, having just become a Christian, this idea of apologetics was totally new to me. And the speaker uh, on the first night started talking about um, this book, which, which had just come out a long time ago. Um, anybody have this book? It's really kind of, oh, look at all the hands. This is like a nerd, Christian nerd to the infinite squared book. Um, If you own this book, you would definitely be a Christian nerd by definition, um, which is a good thing, by the way. Um, It's called The The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. Maybe you've heard of it. It's, It's like an encyclopedia of proofs and evidences as to why Jesus is who he said he was, as to why the Bible is uh, true. Um, It goes into the Old Testament, New Testament, how we got the Bible, Um, all these historical facts. And um, in there, it's, it's just like science meets history. And it's pretty cool. And in there is this um, analogy that maybe many of you have heard before. And it's something called, um, at least I'm calling it, Jesus prophecies in silver dollars filling Texas. Has anybody ever heard of this? Yeah, you know, it's the preachers have, so it's in this book. Um, preachers have often tried to retell it um, because it's a pretty interesting fact or uh, analogy or description of the prophecies of the Old Testament being fulfilled in the New Testament, and it has to do with probability. So I'll try to explain. It comes from this guy um, in the 1950s. His name is Professor Peter Stoner. And so I imagine in college, the his friends made fun of his last name. I don't know. Um, and so here he is, a picture of him. And he decided to go into the Bible and look at the prophecies of the coming Messiah in the Old Testament and how they were filled, fulfilled by Jesus in the New Testament. And he set up probabilities of how probable it would be if those prophecies were fulfilled. Are you following me thus far? You're just looking at me weird. Okay, I'll, I'll slow down. Um, and so um, he, like this, or maybe I'll give an example. So he, like if someone prophesied to you and said, hey, I had a dream, a vision, that today you will meet a bald man missing a finger. And you're like, okay, that's a weird prophecy, but whatever. And so what is the probability that that prophecy will come true? Let's just like put the, the whole prophecy thing on, on, the, on a side burner and just say, how probable is it that that prophecy will be, be true, that you will meet a bald man missing a finger? And so um, to, to assign numbers to those things, how many men are bald? Like what's the percentage? You can, I'm just throwing out a number here. I'm going to say one in 10 men are bald. And then how many men are missing a finger? I'm just going to throw out a number and say maybe one in a thousand men are missing a finger. And so what is the probability out of all the men that you meet today that, <clears throat> that, that you will meet a man who is both bald and missing a finger? Well, simple pro- probabilities, you just times them. And so you get one, a thousand uh, times, uh, what is it? A, a thousand, dang it, a thousand times 10 is what? 10,000? 
<laughs> Pretty quick with the math. And so it's one in 10,000 men that you meet will both be bald and be missing a finger. And so that's the probability. Very improbable that you would meet 10,000 men in one day. And so if that prophecy really did come true, it'd be, wow, this, this person that prophesied that I would meet a bald man missing a finger is what, wow, what they have to say is maybe from God or maybe they have a uh, divine revelation that because that probability um, is, is, is rare. And if someone just prophesied, hey, today you're going to meet a man wearing a blue shirt, that's like, who cares? Like, of course, like, duh, just lots of people wearing a blue shirt. So anyways, so Professor Peter Stoner, getting back to the big idea here, took eight of the prophecies of the coming Messiah in the Old Testament and made probabilities as to how probable would that be if it was true. And so here they all are um, listed out. I'm not sure if you could read that because it's, it's all eight up on the board. And if you were interested in this, um, you don't have to rush and scramble and write all these down. This is easily findable on the internet. Just type in Peter Stoner or the prophecies of Jesus or Texas and, and silver dollars. And this, I'm sure you'll find it very easily. And so I'll get to the silver dollars in a second if that confuses you. So there's eight prophecies that Peter Stoner took in the 1950s and gave them number assignments to them. The first one is in Micah 5.2. It says that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And so he says, what's, what's the, you know, how many people are born in Bethlehem compared to all the other cities of the world? And so he, um, he kind of, and some of this is just making up probabilities because you're really not, I mean, how do you quantify that? But he assigns them numbers, and they're very conservative numbers, so no one can go back and say, you know, that's not possible that that many people could be born in Bethlehem. So he's very conservative with his numbers. And he says that out of the, the, that the population of Bethlehem from the time of Micah till now was about 7,150, and the, the population, the average population of the world since Micah to now is about 2 billion. Um, and so it's 7,000 divided by 2 billion. Um, you get something, I forgot to write down one in something. But anyways, you get this idea that he's assigning numbers and probabilities. The next one is the a prophecy in Micah 3.1 that the, a messenger would prepare the way for the Messiah. And so you're like, how many people have have a messenger preparing their way. He said one in a thousand. Um, and number three, the Messiah will enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. How many people going into Jerusalem ride donkeys? He said, it seems very conservative to me, one in a hundred people going into Jerusalem will ride a donkey. Um, Number four, uh, he'll, the Messiah will be betrayed by a friend and suffer wounds in his hands. Zechariah thirteen six. These are Old Testament prophecies that then Jesus would fulfill, of course. Um, and he says that that would be, what does he say? One in a thousand people would be betrayed and then suffer wounds in their hands. That seems very conservative as well. Number five, the Messiah would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Um, number six, I'm going quickly now. The betrayal money will be used to purchase a potter's field. The Messiah will remain silent as he's afflicted. He assigns that number to one in a thousand people will remain silent when they're afflicted or brought to court um, as prophesied in Isaiah 53. And then finally, the Messiah will die at the hands uh, having his hands and feet pierced, Psalm 22. How many people die like that? He assigned the number one in 10,000. <gasps> Are you following me? Okay, so you take all those prophecies and you times them all together and you get this big number, which of course only nerds would recognize as um, 10 with 17 zeros behind it, whatever that's supposed to mean. Um, and so it's like, what are the chances that this will come true? Like one in a thousand and one in a million, it reminds me of that scene in Dumb and Dumber. It's like one in a million, so you're saying there's a chance. Um, but anyways, 
but this number is one, a 10 with 17 zeros behind it. How do you even wrap your mind around that? Well, it's like this. And so here's where the silver dollars comes in if you've been confused um, thus far. So you take one silver dollar and you mark a big X on it with permanent marker paint. And then you throw it into a pile of other silver dollars, 10 to the 17th power of silver dollars. How many dollar bills? I mean, how many dollar um, coins is that? Silver dollar coins is that? Well, it's enough to fill the state of Texas three feet deep. And so that's a lot of coins, right? I'm not crazy here. So, um, so you take that many coins, you throw this one coin marked with the X on it, throw it in the pile, mix it all up. You send someone into Texas, like somewhere randomly in Texas, maybe a plane's flying over. He jumps out, randomly lands somewhere randomly in Texas, and then randomly walks in some random direction for some random amount of time, reaches his hand down into the three feet deep of silver dollars at a random depth and feels around and picks up a random coin, pulls it out, and if that coin is the same one that had the the black X on it, that's the probability that one person in history would fulfill those eight prophecies that Peter Stoner, Professor Peter Stoner, lined up and put numbers with. Pretty cool. And I, as a high schooler, was just like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. And I was like looking around at my friends and they were just like making out or something. And I was like, this is awesome. This is so cool. I was like so fascinated that that probabilities or numbers and history could be combined in this new thing that I was learning called apologetics. And I was just blown away by it. And I thought it was so cool. And so today, in fact, I thought it was so cool. I'll pull up my Bible real quick that I... Since high school and hearing that message, I went through the Old Testament and any prophecy in the Old Testament that I found referring to Jesus, I underlined in a green pen. And so as I'm flipping through, I, I, you know, every, you know, maybe, I don't know, I don't want to give it a probability because we're signing in numbers of things, but I'm looking at like maybe every 50 page or something has uh, something in green underlined in it. And I remember going through and just finding these things and studying them and their fulfillment in the New Testament and looking up um, the prophecies of Jesus and just being so enamored that the Old Testament is full of the coming Messiah and that Jesus fulfilled those prophecies. And I was just, I was just so I, today I get to talk about that for about an hour or at least a half hour that we have left and share with you the prophecies of Jesus being fulfilled in the New Testament so we can get this big zoomed out bird's eye view of the Bible. So that's what we're going to do today. But before we begin, um, just a few announcements. Um, Welcome to Mill Sunday School if you're new. um, There's of course free food and um, breakfast back there. It's for you. Um, If you're new, there's um, on all the tables, there's like a first timer card. It says the Mill Sunday School on it. If you want to fill that out, you can bring it to the people as you leave. We'll give you a CD. It's a worship CD of, uh, that we recorded at the Mill, which is our main meeting on Friday nights. And so if th- this week will be back to normal, if you've been coming to the Mill, last week was desperation. This week will be the Mill in the theater, 7 o'clock like usual. And that's our main meeting. If you don't know about that because you're new, um, go there. That's our worship and sermon. It's more of our meeting Um, And so this is the Mill Sunday School. Um, It's just more of a teaching in here. It's kind of a gathering of nerds. And I call you nerds because I love you. So 
let's talk about what we're talking about this month. Glenn Packiam, who talked the last two Sundays, he talked one Sunday on um, how we interpret the Bible, ways of looking at the Bible, and he said that the best way, potentially, how the Bible maybe is designed to be looked at as one big narrative, a story of God working with his people throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then last week was an awesome lesson. You could podcast it. Um, By the way, it's free to podcast. Just go to newlifechurch.org, go to sermons, and go to Sunday school, and you can listen to all the Sunday schools that we've ever recorded, at least back into 07, however Sunday school has been going since 04. But anyways, you can listen to sermons, um, you can listen to last week's Glenn talking about the Bible and six acts, pretty sweet lesson. Um, I'm going to talk about today Jesus' prophecies being fulfilled in the New Testament. Next week, Aaron Wagner's going to teach. I think he's going to trace worship through the context of the Bible. And then the week after that, uh, Matt Ayers is going to speak. He's our uh, missions pastor here at New Life. I think he's going to trace this idea of love and justice throughout Scripture, but I I could be wrong. So anyways, um, I thought we're going to talk about the Messiah in the Old Testament being fulfilled in the New Testament. And so I've got to talk about some terms. And you may have never made these connections of these terms or these words. However, if you've been coming to church for any amount of time, you've probably heard them over and over again, but maybe you don't know what they mean. And so I thought, you know, what fun can we have in here? Let's have the most fun that we can. How about the fun of having a pop quiz? Won't that be fun? Did, did your heart just start racing? You're like, oh gosh, back to, back to high school, back to college, which probably some of you are in college. You're like, oh gosh, my heart, having a heart attack. Anyways, um, but this quiz, open book, open, uh, I, I, you're going to use your phones and look at the internet anyway, so why not just legalize it and say everyone can? So um, um, the it, open book, and it's, it's more not just by yourself. You don't have to take this quiz by yourself, but turn to some friends, see if they know some of the answers to what these terms mean. And they're very common terms. I imagine you've heard of every single one of these terms that I'm about to put up. Um, and so it's just a matter of like, wait, what's that really mean? How? And, and the, the secret, by the way, is that some of these terms are interconnected. But anyways, here's the terms. There's six of them. Can you define uh, one or more of them? Messiah, Yeshua, Anointed One, Jehovah Christ, and Yahweh are the terms. Ready, get set. What do they mean? Go. Let me interrupt your quiz taking. I'll give you some answers. Did anyone make this connection? I'll be really impressed if you did. But these three words all mean the same thing. Messiah, Anointed One, Christ. Did anybody get that? Yes, I see, I see that hand. Yes, that, that is really impressive that you knew that because um, these, haven't you all heard these terms before? If you've been coming to church, you've, you've heard them. They're in the lyrics of the songs we sing. Um, you've probably heard them um, many, I mean, how many times have you heard the word Christ in church? Like uncountable, lots of times. But do you really know that it means anointed one? Did you really know that it means the Messiah? And those three words actually all mean the same thing. So in English, we would say anointed one. The Hebrew word, if you're taking notes, the Hebrew word is Messiah. So Messiah is a Hebrew word that means anointed one. And so in English, we would say anointed one. But the actual Hebrew word is Messiah. And then in the Greek, the Greek word for Messiah, the Greek word for anointed one in English is Christos, or how we would say Christ. And so Jesus Christ, if you're saying Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title. And that title is the Greek word for the Hebrew word, Messiah. Remember, the Old Testament is written in what? Hebrew. The New Testament is written in what? 
Greek. And so there's two different languages going on here. So whenever you see the word Messiah or Christ or anointed one, you should know that all three of those words mean the same thing. And so um, like this, like in that passage, if you're taking notes, Matthew 16, where Jesus sits down with his disciples and says, who do people say I am? And the disciples say, some say the prophet, some say uh, Elijah, some say uh, Jeremiah. And, And he says, who do you say I am? And Peter steps up and says, you are the Christ. And so what is Peter saying? He's saying, you're the one, the Messiah, the anointed one, talked about in the first half of the Bible. We have it as the Old Testament. And so Peter is making this declaration, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the anointed one prophesied about in the Old Testament. And that's pretty cool. And by the way, as a side note, which we'll talk about later, um, so we'll put it in the drawer for now, and then we'll open that drawer in about 15 minutes um, to talk about in a little later. But Peter is saying he's the Christ. And sometimes we often say, oh, he's saying, he's making this declaration that Jesus is God. And he's not. He, he's making this declaration that he, that Jesus is the Old Testament Messiah being prophesied about. And, and so later on, of course, and many times throughout the New Testament, Jesus himself or other people um, declare the deity of him. And Jesus, you know, says many things like, I and the Father am one, or uh, before Abraham was, I am, or John 1, 1, the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and it goes on to say that the Word was Jesus. Um, And so Jesus is God, but that declaration that Jesus is the Christ isn't saying he's God, that's saying he's the Messiah, the coming one of the Old Testament. Everybody cool? Okay, so, so obviously a lot of you learned something today, and so I, I like that because um, now you know. And these are words we use so often, so it's, it's good to know. And so this next one, the next connection, maybe some more of you got this one, but how many of you knew that Jehovah and Yahweh are actually the same thing, the same word? And so uh, Yahweh is the verb of being in the Hebrew language, the ancient Hebrew language. And so in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses asks God at the burning bush, who should I say your name is? If people ask me, who sent me? What's your name? And God says, I am. I am that I am. And that word, I am, the verb of being in Hebrew is the word Yahweh. Did you know that? And so, in the Old Testament, whenever the word Yahweh is used, some of the, this may be news and it may rock your world, um, but whenever the word Yahweh in the Hebrew is used, in the English, like my NIV, has the word capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the distinguishing mark that the word Yahweh is being used instead of other names of God, like Adonai or Elohim or uh, Adoshim or other words, um, that word Yahweh is being used. It's the most holy word in the Hebrew language for the Jews. It's, some Jews don't even say it. In fact, I think most Jews would, would not even dare say the word because it's such a holy word. And so that's the word Yahweh. It's a four-letter word. It's called the Tetragrammaton sometimes. It's often uh, just, you see Y-H-W-H. That's Yahweh. That's, uh, that's the verb of being. And so the word Jehovah is actually, um, it's kind of not that cool of a story, it's actually a mispronunciation of the word Yahweh coming from the Middle Ages. I guess like in the Middle Ages, like old German didn't have the J or didn't have the Y sound, but they had the J sound. And so people started saying Yahweh, but then they like Jehovah came out of that. And so Jehovah is just a mispronunciation of Yahweh. And so now you know, when you see like 
Jehovah, you're just like, why don't they just say Yahweh? Jehovah is just a mispronunciation coming from the Middle Ages. Surprised you didn't know that. <laughs> Anyways, so those words are connected. And finally, Yeshua, how many of you knew that that's the Hebrew name for Jesus? Okay, cool. So Jesus, his Hebrew name is Yeshua. His English name, I guess, would be Jesus. His Greek name would be Iesus, or uh, in English, Iesus is also Joshua. It was a common name um, back then to call someone uh, Yeshua or Joshua or Jesus in English. Or uh, yeah, so these, it's just basically different languages call him by different names because it's like, you know, like I'm Joe in the United States, but if I go to a mission trip to Mexico, I always introduce myself as Jose. Jose. Yeah, same kind of thing. So, um, Yeshua, does anyone know what that name actually means? Nobody? It means the Lord saves, or God saves. That's what Yeshua means. And so, um, the answer, if you were doing like, you know how like when you're a kid, every answer to every Sunday school question is Jesus? Well, every answer to every one of those terms is Jesus. He's the Messiah. He, of course, his first name is Yeshua in Hebrew. He's the anointed one. He's Jehovah because he declares to be God. He's the Christ, which means Messiah. And he, of course, is Yahweh because he declares to be the same God of the Old Testament. Everybody cool? Okay, so Old Testament prophecies fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And so if you're in your, uh, if you're taking notes, I'm about to give you quite a few verses. I forget how many I exactly have, but I'm going to line them up like this and, and give you an Old Testament scripture being fulfilled by the New Testament. And um, so let's go over some of these. The first one is kind of this big picture view of the Old Testament being fulfilled by the New Testament. And it's Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. And it's qu- quite a long passage, but it's, it's well worth reading. And so I'm going to read it for you. Um, you can look at it in your own Bibles or, or look at it later, write down the reference. But it says this. And so Jeremiah, you have to realize, is in the Old Testament. Jeremiah lived around um, somewhere around 600 BC. So 600 years before Jesus came, this prophecy was made. And so if the Bible is all, you know, one story, one narrative, if God, you know, didn't just have a plan with Israel and say, oh, Israel messed it up. I guess we need a new plan. But no, it's, it's this entire plan of God's big picture being poured out on the earth, it's all planned out, then you would think that the Old Testament would say that the new covenant is coming. And sure enough, it does. Jeremiah 31, 31 says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they, were bro- because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor, neighbor saying to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me. The least of them to the to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And of course that Old Testament prophecy is being fulfilled in the in the context of the whole New Testament that Jesus comes gives a new covenant says that the law that he is the fulfillment of the law and that the nowadays you know the spirit is going to um convict us of sin and righteousness and we're going to have the law so to speak 
figuratively written in our hearts. And so I found a scripture that really kind of spells that out, 2 Corinthians 3, 6. And it just says this, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he says that God, he has made us uh, competent ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, and of course the letter is in the letter of the Torah, the Old Testament. So not in the letter, but in the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And so here's this big context of the 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 Old Testament being fulfilled and the new covenant of the New Testament. So that's prophecy that I'm going to give you, number one. However, if you go online or do some research on the prophecies of the Old Testament of Jesus being fulfilled in the New Testament, there's lists, people, like hundreds long. And so I'm a, I think I'm only going to give you like five of them. And so um, be aware that there are lots more. Some of them um, more clear than others. I don't think any of them begin with, and this what about is to follow is a prophecy of Jesus Christ, and then it says something. So none of them are, are stated like that. So they're all kind of shrouded in mystery and in prophecy, but some of them are pretty clear, like this one that I really like. And you, you've probably heard every Christmas since you were born until now, Isaiah seven fourteen. And so once again, this book, Isaiah, is in the Old Testament. Isaiah wrote this some 700-ish years before Jesus, and he says this, Um, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. What's Emmanuel mean? God with us. And so way back in the Old Testament, 700 years before Jesus, this prophecy, people were awaiting and expecting a virgin to give birth and his name will be God with us. How awesome is that? So people are waiting for that. And then, of course, um, Matthew 1, 21 through 23, the nativity um, scene that Mary um, gives birth to a son. You're to give him, give him the name Jesus, or in Hebrew, Yeshua, which means what? Which means the Lord saves. And that, that's why it says right here, because he will save his people from their sins. Hopefully that makes sense now. His very name means the Lord saves. That's why he's being called Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. And of course, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Uh, and we just read that, Isaiah seven fourteen. The, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So how awesome is that? That this woman who lived in the first century claimed to be a virgin, named her son Jesus, which means the Lord saves. And then, of course, that son goes on to proclaim and say that he is the Messiah. And he's, he's declared that by his closest friends. And, and so, wow, that's pretty cool that that happened. Um, and he, I mean, isn't that awesome? That the, this prophecy is being fulfilled in Jesus? So that's one. Another one is Zechariah 9.9. And we kind of looked at this one a second ago when, we, when I said the, the analogy of the, the silver dollar coin analogy. But it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous, victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so here's this expectation that the king will come riding on a donkey. And which is kind of an interesting picture because usually kings ride kingly animals like horses, not lowly animals that you put like your backpack on, a donkey. And so here a king is coming riding on a donkey. And of course, Jesus fulfills that prophecy on what we now celebrate as Palm Sunday when he comes victoriously into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Matthew 21, 4 said all this took place. So he's riding in on the donkey. (coughs) All this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet of Zechariah. We know it's 9-9. Um, Say to daughter 
Zion, see your king comes to you gentle, riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. So once again, Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy that a king would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. One more. Um, Actually, I think I have two more. Psalm 22. And if you've ever read Psalm 22, this psalm begins with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did you know that? Which is the very words that Jesus said on the cross. And if you read the rest of Psalm 22, it paints this picture of someone dying and people looking on him. And that person is somehow taking away the sins of the world. This awesome, beautiful picture of, of course, Jesus fulfilling that Psalm 22. But Psalm 22, one of the specific lines says, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. And so while Jesus is hanging on the cross, it's recorded um, in, in John 19 that when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, divided them into four shares, one, of them, uh, one for each of them with an undergarment remaining. And the garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. And the, verse 24 says, let's not tear it. They said to one another, let's decide by lot who will get it. And all this happened that scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Which is like Jesus, I mean, if Jesus really wasn't who he said he was, he could have just faked it and said, um, I'm going to fulfill this prophecy. I'm going to get on a donkey and ride into Jerusalem and fake people out by claiming that I'm a Messiah. But he had no control over um, the people that dividing his garments when he was on the cross. He had no control over, you know, his mom's pregnancy when he was a baby. And so some of these prophecies are more impressive than others, but I think this one is just as impressive, maybe not more, because he had no control over what people were doing while he was dying. And so um, this prophecy, I think it's the last one I'm going to give you. Um, Daniel 9, 25 through 27, aka the prophecy of 70 weeks. Is anybody familiar with this prophecy? It's kind of a, a nerd prophecy, which, um, and lots of people that, like, are into end time stuff. Like, I think Harold Camping, the guy that said God was doing the rapture on May 21st, he was really big into this prophecy because it's all about numbers, and it's all about, like, when Jesus will come, and it's, it's shrouded in mystery, so it's not, you know, you're not, you can't just say, here's what it's literally saying. Well, well, no, it's shrouded in mystery, and so it's not literal, it's figurative, it's prophecy, it's spiritual, and so it takes some understanding of really what's going on here. But this prophecy says, and so you could write it down or turn to it, I don't have space in that section to write this down, but it says this, no one understand this, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one comes, there will be this amount of time. So I'm about to read that, but to give us a big picture here, Daniel, who lived about 600-ish years before Jesus came, um, he lived in a time when the temple was destroyed. He's saying, from the time in which the declaration goes out to rebuild the temple um, until the anointed one comes, what's anointed one mean? Messiah, Christ, those are the words that we use to, to, in English to describe the anointed one, comes, there will be this amount of time. And he says, um, let's see, the word goes out to restore and rebuild the temple until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. You're like, what does that mean? Well, some of that, if you, seven sevens, 62 sevens, it's a prophecy of weeks. And so if a week means a year, which which, by the way, it, it may, um, because it's shrouded in prophecy and spiritual language. And so if a week means a year, then what's seven, what is it again? Seven times seven, what's that? 49. And then 62 sevens, what's 62 times seven? <laughs> 
I'll just tell you. Uh, where is it? Dang it, I wrote it down. Oh, 434 plus 49. Anybody? I'll just tell you. 483. And so he's, Daniel is prophesying. So if the weeks mean years, and so you could argue that maybe it doesn't or maybe it does. Um, Harold Camping says it does, and it's, you know, the Antichrist is coming and what is it, May 21st? But now it's like October 21st or something? I don't know. So weird people get a hold of this particular scripture and kind of ruin it for the rest of us with their idiocy. But uh, anyways, um, so if the weeks do mean years, then there's 483 years from the time in which the declaration of the rebuilding of the temple goes out until the anointed one. And we could trace back in history, Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, there is the declaration to rebuild the temple, and they go and rebuild the temple. Uh, and if that happens around the year, uh, I wrote it down, 445 B.C., then 483 um, years past four. 45 BC would be somewhere right around either when Jesus was born or when Jesus was baptized or when Jesus died. If the weeks mean years. And this prophecy is pretty cool because it goes on to say things like the ruler will come and um, it says that he will put an end to the sacrifice and offerings. And of course, right around the time of Jesus, the temple would be destroyed again, and the, the sacrifice and offerings, you know, the Jews haven't been doing that since like 70 AD, like right around the time when Jesus came and then died. Um, and so, so some of this is pretty cool, if the weeks mean years, and, and so that's pretty cool that the, if, if this prophecy is what it's saying, that we think it's about Jesus coming, the anointed one, the Messiah, then it's saying about when he would come in history, which would be right around the exact time that he came, if if the temple was, the, the decree went out in 445, and then 483 years later, Jesus, you know, somewhere around that time, he either comes or is baptized or um, dies. And lots of people have different opinions on exactly what that prophecy, what date that prophecy is referring to. But anyways, the Old Testament's pretty sweet. Wouldn't you agree? It's fulfill, it's, it's, the, it's like, wow, these, we have these prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus. And so I have a discussion question for you. Because if the Jewish people, and the Jewish people still to this day, have the same Old Testament that we have, we call it the Old Testament, they call it the Tanakh, and I, I described that a little earlier in another rabbit trail, so I won't do it again. Um, but if the Jews have the same Old Testament Bible, then I want you to think about this question and maybe turn to some people around you uh, with just a few minutes that we have and answer or just try to wrap your mind around this question. You know, why don't the Jews believe that Jesus was the Messiah like we do? If they were reading the same Old Testament about how the Messiah will come and be born of a virgin, be born in Bethlehem, a ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, that this prophecy of Daniel may be predicting the exact time in history in which he would come. You know, if they're reading the same Bible, the same Old Testament, they call it the Tanakh, why don't they believe that Jesus was the Messiah? Discuss it. Ready? Get set. Go. All right, if I, if I stop us now, we could uh, pass the mics around and, and do a couple discussion uh, points. I would love to hear from you, maybe just from two people or three people. Um, so if you said something um, pretty interesting at your table, at least the people around you thought it was interesting, it will probably be interesting for all of us. And so why don't the Jews believe? Get the attention of uh, Josh, our mic dude, and um, say something. Yes. And, and then Michelle on the back. Yes, thank you. Uh, we, we were thinking that perhaps the Jews were really thinking that 
Jesus was going to be a physical king, someone who came yeah. in on, you know, really strong, really came and created a real physical kingdom. And when it was really spiritual, they didn't believe it. Yeah, thank you so much. We'll, we'll get into that point in just a second that he said the Jews thought Jesus was going to be an actual physical king over Israel. And so Jesus wasn't that. He was killed by the Romans. He didn't, wasn't actually a king by the worldly sense, but of course he was in the spiritual sense. Yes, thank you, Michelle. Uh, well, we've said a lot of the same thing, but um, I remember watching a skit over and over again when I was a kid about, you know, this person who is waiting for, you know, Jesus to come visit her. And, you know, people keep stopping by, you know, saying, you know, can I have some eggs? Can I have some sugar? Can I, you know, all of this. And actually, that is Jesus coming to visit this person because she keeps saying, no, I'm waiting for someone and slamming the door in their faces. So I think a lot of it is that, you know, we look for a specific thing. They thought, you know, this is going to be a worldly king. He's going to come with a crown and he's going to rule. But then they were so focused on that that they missed the truth. They missed who he really was. Yeah, yeah, that's good. He came lowly. They were expecting someone awesome, like the Messiah, you know, predicted for thousands of years. And they expected this huge larger-than-life guy, and yet he was a guy that was, like, homeless, just a carpenter. He ended up getting killed. He was born in a, a barn and then put in a manger. Like, that's no, you know, that can't be the awesome Messiah being predicted about thousands of years ago. That just can't be. He's, you know, he's poor. He's, by the world standards, a loser. And so, l- let me, let's move on. And I have this word up here. It's, a, it's actually three words in Latin. Um, Vatic Inium ex eventu, which kind of sounds like a Harry Potter spell. It's not. Um, Anyways, um, it's a Latin phrase meaning uh, foretelling after the event or post-prediction. And there's lots of categories of how someone can post-predict. They could literally predict it after it happened. Like if a big earthquake happened today, and then I was like, ooh, I want to be cool and get on the news and pretend like I predicted this earthquake I could, like, have left space in my journal, like, back in 1996, and then today go write in my journal that I'm predicting a earthquake on, what's today, the 17th? <laughs> Everybody's looking at me like, it either is or it is. It's the 17th? All right, so anyways, I'm predicting this earthquake, and then it happens, and it's like, look, I predicted it. Here's my journal from 96. And it's like, no, you loser. You just wrote that today and made it look like you predicted it a long time ago. Kind of like um, to make fun of, I, no, not make fun of, to pick on, no. Anyways, our, our friends, the Mormons, um, that Joseph Smith came and and he's, he claims that he dug up these uh, uh, golden plates and then translated them. And on the golden plates it said that a great man was coming named Joseph who would live in the later days and be this awesome prophet. So he's basically predicting himself coming. And these plates were supposedly written in like the B.C. errors. Um, but the problem with that is we didn't have them before Joseph Smith. And so it's like, dude, how convenient. You're just predicting yourself. 
That's not cool. But anyways, um, that, that's very different, by the way, than the Bible. And not to, not to pick on the Mormons too much, but the Bible, ha- we, we have evidence that the Old Testament is older than the New Testament. It was around before Jesus came. Lots of historical evidence, um, just overwhelming. Duh, we had the Old Testament before we had the New Testament. Therefore, prophecies about Jesus' virgin birth or that the Messiah um, would be from Bethlehem, from the line of David, um, etc., etc., um, those things were clearly written before Jesus came. But this um, phrase, this Latin phrase, which means predicting after the event, could also mean that, you know, maybe you're being carried away by some of the prophecies, and maybe some of them were too broad, um, and that someone, someone in time could fulfill them. Like going back to, I opened up today's Sunday school with, you know, someone um, predicts that you will meet someone who, um, a what did I say? A bald man who is missing a finger and that maybe the probability of that is one, what did we say? One in 10,000. And so it's like, well, I'm not going to see, you know, I'm not going to meet 10,000 guys today. So that, that prophecy is very unlikely to happen. And if it does happen, how miraculous. But then, you know, someone could argue, well, if someone prophesied that, then you would probably be looking for that. You'd probably be looking at like every bald guy in the crowd and like, then look, look at his hand and be like, oh, that's the guy. And then you'd go meet him. And then you could argue, you know, that prophecy only happened because someone said you were going to meet him. So you were looking for him. And so, you know, like you went over to the New Life service and there's like 4,000 people. And maybe you, you saw somebody that was bald and you looked at their hand. And you're like, oh my gosh, he's missing his pinky. How awesome. And you went up and met him and you're like, oh, the pro-. no, you just were looking and you found him. It wasn't, you know, you didn't meet him randomly. And so anyways, so the Jews could say things like, well, the prophecies that you Christians think are being fulfilled are actually just, you know, they're, they're lining up with what you believe. And so, you know, the prophecy, for instance, of Daniel, that the weeks, if you times, if you, if a week equals a year, then it works out to be about the, about the time when Jesus came. And so it just lines up because you want it to line up. You're making it line up. Or, um, the, I guess just, I put up this, that the prophecies of the Messiah are shrouded in mystery. So the, the Jews, you know, they would just say, well, maybe, you know, Jesus fulfilled some of them. And I've even heard Jews say, maybe Jesus is the Christian Messiah that he led all these Gentiles believe in the Old Testament God. And so he's the Christian Messiah, but he can't be the Jewish Messiah because of what some of you said, because he didn't, he wasn't actually a king. He wasn't um, a literal worldly king of Jerusalem like it is prophesied about. But our answer to that would be that the two comings that Jesus first came um, here in this painting by uh, Bergero uh, in the 1800s of Jesus getting whipped here. Um, and so Jesus came, did come as a suffering servant and died for our sins, but he is coming again as a king who will reign. And so the Jews that would say, yeah, there's prophecies about the wolf lying down with the lamb, um, Isaiah eleven sixteen, and the lion will lie down with the yearling, which is a little horse, a pony, and a child will lead them. Now, if a child is leading a lion and a wolf and a lamb, what's going to happen? Somebody's going to get lunch. That's what's going to happen. And you could watch the documentaries of animals like lions or the African honey badger and know that there's some bad animals out there that will eat other things. And so this prophecy 
of the lamb lying down with the lion has not been fulfilled yet. So a Jew would say, oh, it hasn't been fulfilled, therefore Jesus couldn't have been the Messiah. Or this prophecy, Isaiah 2.4 says, you know, uh, the, 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 the one who will come will come and the nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. How many of you are in the military in here? You're training you're for war. And so this prophecy has not yet been fulfilled. So a Jew looking at the Old Testament would say, the Messiah hasn't come yet. The lion isn't lying down with the lamb. Nation is still rising up against nation. So this prophecy hasn't been fulfilled yet. Therefore, the Messiah has not come. Therefore, Jesus couldn't have been the Messiah because these prophecies have not been fulfilled. But our answer to that, by the way, is that he came... And he was a suffering servant, like the the prophecies about how he will die, how he will take our iniquities, how he will suffer. Those were fulfilled in his first coming, and yet he will come again um, as king. And so there's two comings. That's our response to the Jews when they say, oh, he wasn't an actual king. He didn't bring peace to the earth. The lion isn't lying down with the lamb. We would say, you're right, but only half right, because he did come, he fulfilled the suffering prophecies, and he will come again, and the lion will lie down with the lamb. This whole world will be redeemed. There will be a resurrection. He will initialize that. His coming, his second coming, will, to the Jew, maybe be the first coming. I don't know. So, um, finally, this last point that I want to end on is, why don't the Jews think Jesus was the Messiah? And it a lot of it comes down to this fact that Jesus claimed to be God. And the Jews reading their Old Testament would, this idea of a man being God is blasphemous to them. If we as Christians, you know, wrap our minds around the Trinity and how Jesus um, did come as God in the flesh and how this is a mystery. We call it the incarnation. We call it uh, the hypostatic union. These big theological terms that we believe in. But a Jew just looks at that and says, that's heresy. And, and they might just, you know, I put this picture on the cover. It's a painting by Salvador Dali, a surrealist of Jesus' ascension. You know, he's, his fingers are in pain, and yet he's ascending. And you see his deity. You know, you're looking at his feet. Obviously, he's a real human. He's flesh, but he's also God at the same time. How can this be? Well, it's, it's the mystery of what we believe. It's the mystery that the coming Messiah was also God himself. How beautiful that picture was. And so it's with that, on that note, that I, I just want to close us in prayer and, and be so grateful that we have an Old Testament that is fulfilled in the New Testament and how the whole thing makes this beautiful picture of God's work in this world. So let's pray. God, we do praise you. We, we just sit in awe, we stand in awe of, of your majesty and how your plan was worked out on this earth. How you came as, as a servant who suffered and died, but you didn't leave us. You are coming back and fulfilling the rest of the Old Testament prophecies of the kingliness and how this world will be restored and made right. And so God, we praise you this morning. We, we look upon the second coming with with awareness and with joy that you are coming back. You have not left us. And we recognize that you have already come and and given us salvation from our sins. And so, God, we praise you this morning. We thank you. And everybody said, Amen. All right, friends, peace out.